I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on Yawkey Way. That's when Red Sox Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball, as well as MLB-wide hot stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Player FM, and wherever you can find it on Google. And for those of you, and I'm assuming which is actually the bulk of you who tune in via iTunes throughout the week, uh, it would be a huge help for us and a big support to the show if you could Give us a review uh, if you haven't already. Five-star rating would be awesome, but uh, be brutally honest if, uh, um, if uh, need be. So we are kind of wrapping up the GM meetings where agents are kind of meeting with uh, prospective GMs and kind of getting a opening feel for what the free agent market or hot stove season will behold and then uh, coming up shortly will be the winter meetings which is when things tend to get hot and heavy but tonight we will be giving all our projections on Bryce Harper, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell will be the free agents we will profile tonight. Joining me as always is Jeremy Schilling and Making a long overdue appearance is Chris Saunders. Thank you guys for coming on. No problem, anytime. Thanks for having me, Terrence. Yeah, good to be back in the in the swing of things. I mean, we were hot and heavy with a lot of uh, post game shows throughout the uh, you know playoff season, which fortunately was a long season that ended well. You know, late in October. So it kind of feels like we haven't done this in quite a while, even though I don't know how long it's been. Probably, what, a week or so? About that, yeah. Yeah, so finally back in the swing of things. So Bryce Harper, the big name throughout the week. A lot of speculation on what his market actually is, whether or not it will break the current record contract uh, currently held by Giancarlo Stanton at $325 million. I'm a little skeptical, but the industry expectation is that he will, in fact, uh, Bryce Harper, get a bigger uh, contract than that. Uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on uh, where he could land, how much he can expect to sign for? 
Sure. Uh, anyone who wants to give him three hundred twenty-five uh, million dollars can go right ahead. And I hope it's in the AL East because it's going to hamstring your roster for a decade or more. And uh, I just think it's not sound business practice in today's Major League Baseball. We saw a correction with J.D. Martinez where the Red Sox, you know, for the most part refused to bid against themselves and took the preeminent slugger last offseason. He's not Bryce Harper. He doesn't have the personality. He's not anywhere near as good defensively. But... Um, an elite slugger, um, and the market did not dictate even half of what the number that you just mentioned, which was $325 million. I'm not sure if the market shifted that much in one season. Um, and the one thing that I may not have a grasp on, if I'm being honest with myself, is the marketability of a player. So, you know, not the costs related to wins and losses, but the costs related to a franchise, their ability to market a guy like Harper. I think that's going to play a huge role here. I just, it's hard to put a fingerprint on that because as much as I love and watch baseball, I don't have the same understanding um, of the, of the value of a player, you know, marketing wise. Now I have a theory. I don't know if it's a good theory, um, but I think I'm going to end my initial comments with this and see if you guys have any thoughts. I'm expecting something like a, uh, a prove it year because he's coming off a, a relatively down year. Uh, didn't hit for average, had some problems with, with consistent play. Um, one year, $30 million, maybe even from the nationals and a show me year to try to go get that contract. Um, is what I expect. Um, I, I just I, I think there's enough contracts out there. Pool host Stanton, you know, Crawford. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about these long contracts that just don't have value beyond the first two to four years. So I really do think that he's young enough, by the way, to warrant it. But he's not coming off a great year. And the market doesn't seem to dictate that type of contract. So I do think that he may be willing to go back to a team like the Nationals where he's comfortable on a one-year high-value high contract, $30, $35 million, as, as, as again, a kind of a show-me year. That theory has been kind of – was kind of kicked around, you know, in the first half of last season when he kind of struggled. And he did only end the year with a one3 war and which is staggeringly low for you know what he is capable of but um i just think a lot of things would have to go wrong with the market it would have to unexpectedly tank um you know over the course of the next several weeks for for that scenario to you know become more viable in my opinion but um well Chris, t- or go ahead today or yesterday uh Cashman announced that they are not, and I, not that the Yankees haven't done this before and turned around and signed the player, but, uh, and Chris being a Yankee, maybe this is a perfect lead in for him. They, the Yankees have come out and unambiguously stated they're not interested in Bryce Harper. So that's the biggest dollar team out on a guy who's looking for, you know, 300 plus million dollars. And that's true. That's true. And we'll get more into what teams are, you know, are ultimately going to be in play for him. But what are your opening thoughts, Chris, on uh, your expectations for Harper? 
I honestly think, and I agree with Jeremy, that he's going to go to an East team. I just don't think it's going to be the AL East. I think the NL East is a prime opportunity for him because three of the four teams that I think he's going to go to are in the NL East, the Phillies, the Braves, and the Nats. The Phillies, I mean, if you look at what they have committed the next two years after the 19th season in 2020 and 2021, $20 million and $15 million. So they have enough money to be able to go out and get a guy who they feel could help. Could it be Machado? It could be Harper. But, you know, it, all it takes is that one team, and we know Scott Boris, as you guys know as well, he's, he's a big fan of the mystery team, as you know. So I honestly think that he's going to get Harper because of his age and because of teams thinking, oh, he's going to be this MVP five times out of the ten you know, the 10 years, but realistically out of the six years, like how long has he really been sustainably good? A year and a half, maybe two out of the six. So like Jeremy said, you know, a 300 plus million dollars really strings salary cap or, you know, to that point where you get to the luxury tax part. And that's where it just, you know, buyer beware. That's all I got to say. Yeah, and this was the yeah. first year where he exceeded 100 RBIs as well. I, I think that should be noted. Yep. It did, didn't exceed exactly at 100. It, Chris, just to clarify my point, I actually want him in the AL East because I think that any contract in the in the dollar figures that Boris is contemplating would, and like you said, hamstring that team so significantly for a period of five to ten years that – I, I want him to be, like, for example, Machado, right, which is somebody I think we're going to talk about on the next podcast. As good as that guy was on the Orioles, he had no effect on the AL East. Certainly not this year. Maybe two years ago when they were uh, a surprise team for the first four months of the season. Um, I would love him to become a Yankee. I would love for him to sign a $350 million, 10-year, 12-year deal with the New York Yankees and completely fuck up their roster and dollars for the next decade. I think it would be great. And if I, if I could handpick where he goes, that's where I'd want him to go. Because this is baseball. This isn't the NBA. This isn't a goaltender in hockey. This isn't a quarterback in the NFL. This is one guy. And the effect is not the same in the other sports. The eff- but on the reverse side, the money can affect a roster like you alluded to. You know, uh, for example, and um, Chris, leaning on the fact that you're a Yankees fan, there are Yankees fans that are clamoring for the splash offensive player, and I don't know if you're one of them. But to me, yeah, no, and to me, the educated Yankee fan, uh, which is always a questionable question, um, would want pitching. Not some big name offensive player. Like you guys have all, all the offense in the world. They need they need the money to, to spend on on. And we're going to talk about Keuchel shortly. You, you guys need pitching. And I just think that you know if if Harper signs with the Orioles, that's going to hamstring their ability to get pitching and rebound. Same with the Rays. Although obviously that's laughable that the Rays would spend that amount of money. So I, I you know the the NL East is you know I. I totally agree that if I was betting on a division, it would be the NL East. There may be some other teams out there that are willing to go to a certain extent. I just, I, 
I think there's been a shift, and I don't think it's been a loud shift. I don't think teams have come out and said it. I think it's been more by action. But I do think teams are weary of this decade-long, you know, quarter, you know, quarter of a billion dollar contract, the A-Rod contract, the pool host contract. They just haven't worked out well. You know, whereas with these pitchers, you can you can do a five-year deal understanding that the last year is not going to be a, as an elite player anymore. These 10-year deals don't work that way. They could be half a decade long eyesores on a roster. Uh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I think, thank you. I honestly think that, you know, and you make a great point about, you know, the contracts and why teams are so weird being able to do it. But, you know, you look at the Cueto contract, you look at Hosmer, JD, I mean, you can go down the line. These opt-out options for either the club or the player, I think is going to really start to become a thing now. Or like we saw with JD and Hosmer, you front load the contract so much. So then by the time it's the back end, that player is probably going to at least equal value of what he's doing in his later years past his prime for at least a marketable amount of money compared to what he's doing in the beginning of that contract where at least he's at the prime of his career and at least the money and doing can at least match it. Now to your point about Machado, I do think he did have an effect on the AL East for two reasons. One, he hurt Terry's favorite player, Justin Pedroia, and his career has never been the same. And two, he was able to, you know, to a lesser degree, you know, pick on the Boston Red Sox entirely and just be a pest on them. But as a total whole, Machado did have an effect on the, on the entire AL East just because of his talent and for what he could do. Well, I think he's going to come to the AL East. I don't think so, but to wherever both he and Harper go, I mean, we saw with A-Rod, we've seen with Pujols, it really holds you so much. It, you know, it holds you to that such a stronghold on that payroll where if you don't have a strong core nucleus of players to be able to not have to pay much for them, by the time that starts to get into that expensive your four, five, six, or whatever contract is. You can't go out and pay your Mike Trout to the world, your Mookie Betts. You have to let them go. That's why the Boston Red Sox, I think uh, Mookie Betts is up for his second arbitration here this year, and soon he's going to be a free agent. And you know that he's watching what Harper's getting, what Machado's getting, what Trout's going to get in another year and a half. So good luck keeping Mookie Betts because you're not going to pay him that much money. At least I don't think. Uh, let me... Well, let- well, okay, go ahead. I still got to weigh in on Harper, but go ahead and uh, you know wrap up your thoughts on that. I mean, look, no one hits a three-run home run down six like Machado, and he did have an effect, and he is an elite player. I'm not saying he's not, but he didn't have an effect on the standings. He didn't have an effect on wins and losses. The Red Sox still dominated the Orioles in the, you know, for the last few years. So that was my point. It was, it was more of just a highlight about one elite player on a team – mostly devoid of additional talent not having an effect so that was my point with with that i think the opt-out thing is a really good point i think we're going to see a ton of it um there was some comments today from dombrowski about jd's opt-out and uh it's not for today's podcast but it's, it's definitely a good point um i don't know that we're going to see these front-loaded deals like the nfl um I haven't. I, maybe you could give me an example that would help me see the point better. But it hasn't happened yet, and 
with Major League Baseball and the way the union's set up and, and the way these deals are guaranteed, it just seems silly to me that a guy would hamstring his ability to earn later in his career. Um, these guys typically bet on themselves until they get this 10- to 12-year deal. And, and I just don't know that a guy would take a 10-year deal with you know 75% of the value up front when if he's still a viable player, especially in the American League where he could DH, why he would sell himself short in the back half of, of, of a deal like that. Um, otherwise, look, I mean, um, you know, Terry, why, you know, I, I don't want to go too long, so I'll, let, I'll, I'll defer to you at this point. Well, basically, I, I've been kind of just watching teams, you know, trying to get an indication on, on where he may go because I've been skeptical about his market all along. And um, basically, uh, MLB trade rumors projected Harper to get 14 years, $420 million. However, a tweet came out today from a Los Angeles writer that the Dodgers had a report prepared for their investors. And the report said very specifically that they do not intend to exceed the luxury tax for the next four years. That tells me that Bryce Harper probably doesn't end up on that team. The fact that Andrew Friedman, who came from the Rays organization, was the mastermind behind the 2008 run and some pretty good runs following that, even through 2013 when we uh, squared off with them the ALDS. I just can't picture him seeing a whole lot of value in a $420 million contract. As you guys have said, the Yankees should be out of it. Uh, I think they've said as much in the past 48 hours. Red Sox don't seem to be in play. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that the Dodger, uh, no, excuse me, that the Cubs won't be in play. They have a ton of huge contracts. Some of them not great. Um, Darvish, Hayward in particular. John Lester's making a lot of money. Um, they just picked up the option on Cole Hamels, which is worth over twenty million. I think there's at least one more uh, large Chat contract. I'm sorry. Tyler uh, Chatwood, the righty from Colorado, True. that they picked up. He's making forty mil. Yeah, so tons of tons of big contracts there. I don't expect them to be in play. So who's left? Maybe the Nationals if the market comes back down. But if it's going to stay closer to the four hundred, I don't expect them to be in play. The Phillies have an owner that it makes no bones about it. He's ready to spend and land some big players. I've even seen speculation over the last week that they might entertain Machado and Harper. I that sounds far fetched to me, but you know, but that has been kicked out there. So that's a potential landing spot. The White Sox have emerged. I don't know if they're really in if they're really well positioned to land that contract just yet, especially where Kopech is probably not coming back till 2020, um, you know, where he just had Tommy John. So I, I just, the market is shrinking and it doesn't, I can't really see any American League team being in play for him. So it's, unless it's the White Sox. And then so, just a couple National League teams, and I expect that number to kind of fall back down to earth a little bit. He may very well land somewhere in the 300s, but um, 
I think that market's going to be a little more complicated uh, than what a lot of the insiders are um, basically, you know, uh, reporting. So, um, you know, if he if he does end up with the Phillies, fine. You know, that's not a team we really tangle with. Uh, you know, other than maybe a home and home interleague series, but. Um, and that would be interesting as well because a lot of people say New York and 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 Boston are just insane markets with the fan bases being the way they are, you know, being as intense. Philly is its own kind of nasty. So if Harper has a a start to next season in a Phillies uniform similar to how he got off the start with this season, you know, with the Nationals, I could only imagine the media frenzy that would uh, cause. So, but it's probably NL East, uh, you know, like we have um, basically all three agreed on. Now, Chris, uh, we're not clear on this yet. Is Bryce Harper worth $350 million? No, I mean, I've said this many times on Twitter, on Facebook, on anybody that's even asked me. I've said this for probably the last couple of years now. No player is worth $300 million. No player is worth $200 million. I mean, maybe there's some that are worth $100 million depending on what they can do and what age they sign the contract. But to pay a guy that much money, like we've said many, many times, you know, it, it really does put you at a point where you have to make a decision. Okay, if we sign Harper, you know, in the next – five years what is our payroll going to be and who can we sign or rather who can't we sign that is a part of our young our young you know potential players coming through the ranks or what do we have right now i mean i was listening yesterday to uh mlb hot stove and was listening to dan o'dowd talk about how he likes to project three to four or when he was a gm with the rockies he would project three to four years ahead knowing what the payroll would be and I have a feeling that whoever signs Machado or Harper is going to be doing a 10 to 15 year projection, which I don't even know if that's possible, but you might have to because of how big dollar sign is going to be when you sign them. I mean, 400 million is 20% roughly of, you know, for, well, I should say 40 million a year is roughly 20% of where you are towards the luxury tax threshold and and if you're going to have a you know you're going to need a 30 million dollar pitcher most likely unless you want to try to do what the Brewers did or what the uh, Royals did in, in 2015 but I just think that's bad that's just bad business I mean for 40 million a year you could have you could have any top closer you want you know, because they're, they're making 18 to 20 million. You could have an Edwin Encarnacion type guy and then a, a Steve Pierce or a Mitch Moreland type guy. And I think those three combined make your team better than one single $40 million player. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's just, you know, it's. It's sad that, you know, a player is going to demand that much money because he, if he wants to win so bad, maybe he would see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and he'll make that money back with endorsements and everything else. But, 
you know, for a team to sign a guy that for that much, you would think that we could make instead of signing one player to that much money and more than likely no player could ever live up to that contract. I mean, A Rod didn't Stanton I know it's early, but for what he's done, he's so far in a way has, but for the amount of money he's making, maybe he hasn't. But you could sign five to six guys for that much. I mean, I was again, I hate to keep going back to MLB Network, but I was listening today to Hot Stove again, and and Reynolds came up with a deal that for the Cardinals, who were going to go after him, instead of giving him $2 million, why not just take Cano's contract, put him in his face, and, and then go get That would equal close to $40 million. You get two players for one, rather than one player instead of two. So, Guys, can I chime in here? Yeah. Respectfully, you're looking at one side of the coin. And I'm going to use a terrible contract by baseball standards, but an excellent contract by revenue standards. That's really close to home for Terry and I. Daisuke Matsuzaka, by all measurable standards, was underwhelming in his career as a Boston Red Sox. The contract, the posting fee, everything, for a guy who could throw 110 in, uh, 110 pitches in five innings and get a no decision, I mean, it's just not worth it. But the Red Sox have said publicly that the revenue that he created for merchandising, ticket sales, uh, both internationally you know, and domestically was millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's, again, respectfully short-sighted to only talk about this decision as a baseball decision because it's not. Bryce Harper is a transcendent guy. He's good-looking. He hawks cologne, watches, and, and whatever else he does marketing-wise outside of being a baseball player. Uh, he's an electric factory. Um, you know, and so to say that a town like Philly couldn't benefit where their their top marketable athlete baseball wise right now is Rice Hopkins, who's basically like uh, like a UPS box personality wise. Um, he's done some stuff with Barstool. I'm a big Barstool guy. I've seen him. He he's not good in those circumstances. They would bene- benefit, in my opinion in a large way outside of the day-to-day baseball operations with revenue created by a guy like Bryce Harper. So I just think it's a huge part when you're analyzing whether or not a guy's worth it. Now, with all that said, okay, no one's worth it, okay? <laughs> no one's worth it. He's just not. And, I, and like, he stays out of trouble. I understand he's uh, married to his high school sweetheart and um, – He's had legitimately zero off-season issues um, or outside of baseball issues. It's just too much money to me. And, and again, I don't think there's going to be a huge market because the major players like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, like the Angels, I don't think Seattle's even come up yet, you know, a team that's, I think, coming off the Cano money. So they've got some dollars they can spend if they want to. The typical major players, uh, I haven't heard that the Rangers are involved. Some of these massive market teams just aren't interested. And I, if it gets to a point where it's just a couple teams, I just don't see that the market would push that far. They would have he's to. a good baseball Go uh, ahead, Terry. Well, you can finish. I thought you were done. I can be done. <laughs> I was just saying, you know, if, if it comes down to two teams and one of them's not going to match the other, you just don't – 
I'd be surprised if the team kind of bid against themselves, kind of like the Orioles did with Chris Davis a couple of years ago. And, you know, un- that not great. One of the worst contracts in the sport. <laughs> but and, and then the Red Sox kind of learned from that lesson and didn't didn't bid against themselves on Martinez and then just patiently waited for the market to to come to them. So. Um, yeah, and one other thing, Jeremy, uh, you're absolutely correct with the the marketability and the fact that he would be the face of whatever team he signs with. He'd be the face of their franchise. But my big concern, like just say the Red Sox were to sign him, my big concern would be the clubhouse factor. I mean, we saw him get into it with Papelbon on camera. The Nationals had a ton of behind-the-scenes drama this year, which led to, as I've mentioned time and time again, Brandon Kinsler getting traded to the Cubs because they thought he was the clubhouse rat. Turns out he never had any contact with Jeff Passan, who authored the article that that the Nationals thought was leaked. So, I mean, he's just... That clubhouse hasn't been great the last few years, and and that would be my primary concern, really, if he were to... Aside from the money, if he were to come to our team. And I, and I get that. Um, and I get that for teams that legitimately care about winning, like the Red Sox, like the Yankees. There are a number of teams across all sports that don't give a fuck about winning. The Marlins are unapologetically careless about winning. Like, it's about revenue. It's about making money. It's a business. And there are teams that can run a business, be profitable, and care about winning. Um, again, you know, close to home for this group tonight, Chris Terry, like the Red Sox and the Yankees make money. They turn a profit. But they also spend, and they give the fan base something to root for. The Marlins, um, the Rays, there's a number of teams, if I if I wanted to create a list, that legitimately don't give a shit about winning. Now, maybe publicly they say they care, but in substance and form, by their actions, they do not give a shit about winning. And this is the prime example of, well, do you care about winning in a clubhouse and these factors you guys are talking about? Or do you legitimately care about your revenue? Because if you care about your revenue, then Bryce Harper is a fantastic addition to any organization. Again, to use the Marlins as an example, like Stanton is not going to get you over the top, but they were willing to give him $300 million. Why were they willing to do that? This is a team that just completely eviscerated their entire program. Like They legitimately don't give a shit. So, And I'm not saying the Phillies are that way because... Philadelphia is a really difficult city to not care because those fans will just eat you up and spit you out. But it's, I think, again, just a little bit short-sighted to think that all these teams care only about winning because they don't. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, who knows? I, I believe he will be signed somewhere probably uh, by the end of the winter meetings, which I think are the first week of December. So... Um, we'll hey Terry, that. before we move topics, can we do one quick five seconds for the three of us? Prediction, money, and where? That's exactly what Chris, I was getting at. So yeah, yeah, go ahead with that. Chris, go ahead. You you bat lead off here. All right, I'm gonna say, and this is not just because of the article. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna stick with what I said before. I think he goes to the Braves. I still think that there's an opportunity where he goes there and Machado goes to the Phillies. 
because I said that before. Um, I said that before this season, and then I said it again after the season was over. I say Braves for seven years with a couple opt-outs in between, and it's going to be like 30, 35 a year. So what's the total Terry? on that? I, so two t- two ten to to uh, two two forty five. Okay. Yeah, for seven years. But there's going to be a couple opt outs in it, and like I said before, with JD and Hosmer and some of the other contracts we've seen, I think the Braves are going to front load it, and then I mean, depending that, on how he does, maybe he'll stay. If that's the market, there's going to be more teams involved than we think there will be. But Terry, go ahead. I will say. I'm on the fence between two teams. Uh, I'm going to say he goes back to the Nationals for, we'll say, 10 years. I'll say the 10 years, uh, 30 per, so $300 million overall. Yes, I think it was before. Well, that kind of, I hate doing this, <laughs> but I tend to agree with Terry. I hate agreeing with people, Chris. You don't know that about me yet, but um, I that I think I, I was going to go two options. I think he stays with the Nationals. I think it's going to be one year, forty million dollars with the Nationals, or in the alternative, if the market allows them to do ten and three hundred, then he will stay in Washington. I just don't know. I I, I feel like there's there I. I I feel like maybe you know I don't even know how to put this. I feel like the market could go one of a hundred different ways, and it just makes it almost impossible to to understand what's going to happen. And and because of the JD deal, and baseball is not the same way it was five to ten years ago with with the up like the big time contracts. So that's why I think that Bryce is going to bet on himself and go one year forty million with the Nationals. See with Harper, you know, and you know. You made a great point how it can go one of a million ways. You know, he could choose winning, like, and go to the Braves and then take less money thinking with that young core because of Acuna and Ozzy Albies and Swanson and that young pitching staff and what they have coming through the pipe. He could very well go, he could go there and say, you know what, I'll take a little less knowing that I'm going to win, or he can go to the Nationals, suck up their entire salary, you know, cap if you want to use NFL terms, but their payroll and then basically maybe not be able to win because all their money's into him. I mean, there's so many ways that you can look at this. It's, I kind of wish that we can get an idea of what he's thinking. Because if we had that, it would make it easy to be able to understand about what he's looking money-wise, team-wise, and so on. The, the other thing, and I know we, we, we're desperately in need of a topic change here, but just my last point is, no one's mentioned also the fact that the Players Association is going to want to have a say in all of this. They're going to want him to break the bank for future players, especially with guys like Betts coming through the pipeline. Um, so there's going to be some external pressure on Bryce Harper uh, from the Players Association to to take the top off the market here with, with his both ability on the field and his marketability off the field. Uh, and I'll just wrap it up with this. I hope I want to. I hope Chris is right out of the three of us because anything in the low to mid twos is an epic defeat for Scott Boris and a huge win for 
MLB front offices across the sport, which is who I tend to side with on uh, a lot of these situations. So I hope that that's how it turns out. And, and the Braves could be a dark horse uh, as well. That's a big enough market, and they got a new stadium now, and, and uh, that that's pretty viable. So uh, moving on, we'll go to one of the top uh, pitching free agents, um, and, and maybe even the top, you know, based on his success. Patrick Corbin is ahead of him on some list, but we're going to discuss Dallas Keuchel now, who uh, is about to enter his age 31 season, and I actually looked up his date of birth. It's January 1st, so uh, that's an easy one to remember. Um, Four months. <laughs> yeah, so January 3rd. January 3rd? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh so uh go ahead Chris. And you're a potential landing spot for him, uh you know, to some degree anyway. What what are your expectations for Keiko? I hope not. I I don't want him, you know, I've, you know, being able to be in the industry of being able to broadcast for a lot of collegiate schools and teams and such you know, throughout the year, I've had opportunities to talk to former coaches who either played against him. I don't want to say played against him, but coached against him at college or, you know, scouts who I can be able to pick their brain. And they've, I've heard maybe 95% of them that said they would not touch him because of his age, because he's a finesse guy. And guys who are sinker ballers rely on finesse don't get better as they age. They only get worse because the arm speed's not there. And personally, I feel ever since his Cy Young award winning year, he's gotten maybe not bad. He hasn't been bad every year since, but it's how he's digressed a little bit. And I just feel that, you know, for a left-hander in the AL East, you need to be able to bring some sort of either power-breaking ball, something that can change pace. A change-up two-seam combo doesn't work, particularly when the weather starts to get colder and the ball albeit stayed in the park this off for this postseason, but he didn't do well against the Red Sox. Yale least has not been kind to him. I just think it's better off the Yankees stay away from him and focus on him. So where are some potential landing spots? I would say for Keiko, I think Houston is still a viable option just because they lost McCullers for the entire 2019 season with Tommy John. So I think that's one option. Could he, I mean, again, does he want to win or does he want the money? If he wants to win, he would stay with a team like Houston or, I mean, there's not a lot of options. If he wants to just go for money, I mean, could maybe a team like Texas offer him you know, a potential deal? Probably not because they're more so rebuilding and going on one, two-year deals and trying to sell their players to get more prospects back. So I would say the market's going to be small for him. Jeremy? Yeah, I'm kind of shocked by that. I mean, I don't talk to scouts, and I, um, you know, um, I'm. I would maybe Chris like to have some conversation with you off the, you know, off the recording to to find out maybe who you're talking to and what's the information. Um, you know, and I, I'm taken aback by the comments. I, I mean, to me, it seems like. New York is a natural fit. They're so desperate for starting pitching. Keiko is a known commodity, and he's not a power arm, um, 
but he he seems like the type of guy to me where like where a power arm fades off and guys can't reinvent themselves they they can't learn to be spot and off speed guys um keichel's never been a power arm he's always been uh and i'm gonna make a really bad analogy here but to me he's kind of in that glad uh glavin maddox mold where it was never about overpowering stuff it was always about change of speed location and those guys to me seem to aim at age better um just because they don't necessarily have to reinvent themselves to continue to get people out um and then with the yankees just being so starved for quality starting pitching I mean, they're so starved for quality starting pitching. They just re-signed CC Sabathia, who's like 117 years old and about 117 pounds overweight, uh, to a one-year, eight million dollar deal, just so they have some, they they have some, you know, uh, guarantees that they're going to be able to get 25 starts out of somebody. Um, and for that reason, I just see like Keuchel's a great fit. He's not he's not going to he's not going to warrant 20 to 30 million dollars a year. Um, I see him. What's what's the rule? Like one and a half million per year, or per? I'm sorry, per win. Um, it just seems to me that he he's a great fit in New York. Um, I do think that to some extent um, there's going to be a better market for him. Where with Bryce Harper, we're going to be limited to two or three teams. Keuchel's not going to price himself out of mid-market t- clubs. So you're going to see mid-market guy, mid-market clubs try to get in on the sweepstakes here. Um, so that may make it a little bit harder where a team with the Yankees can can go in and muscle up and pay a little bit extra. Um, I do th- I, It seems to me that he's been so good in Houston. He's not, we, We've never heard him bitch about being in Houston that I just I assume that Houston's going to be involved. Um and you know um i'm not now with all this said okay so by the way he's a 12 million dollar a year guy uh sorry 12 wins last year so by that metric he's about a 20 million 17 to 20 million guy um now with that said taking a step back to chris's commentary um i don't discount that i could be wrong here okay because um I'm not a Yankees fan, and I don't know what people are saying about his ability to pitch later on and in, 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 into his mid and late 30s. Um, but going into <laughs> uh, Chris's comments, that's how I had felt. Basically, I mean, I think the market is a little wider than you know you guys may believe because. I don't think a lot of front offices are going to look at him as a number one. And if they are, then they're going to be profoundly disappointed because he's not at the point in his career where he's going to, where he's going to be the anchor of a, you know, of a, of a really good pitching rotation. He's probably a number two or number three on a lot of teams. And, I just, I think nobody's really talking about him going back to the Astros, and I don't see why, because they've only got Verlander for this year with an option for the next, so that's still short term. They only have Garrett Cole for one more year, and then he's uh, an unrestricted free agent. McCullers, Tommy John, who really knows what he is? I don't think he's really lived up to his potential anyway. 
And so I could see a need for Houston bringing him back. And the market for him seems to be pretty consistent at four years, roughly 80 million. MLB Trade Rumors had it at 82 million. Um, Bleacher Report has him at 84. That's basically a Rick Porcello type deal for, you know, Red Sox terms. And I think that's a pretty, that's a a fair assessment of of what, uh, you know, a guy like Dallas Keuchel, you know, is going to be worth, especially coming into his age 31 season. Now, if it's not going to be the Astros, uh, the Nationals have been kind of kicked around as a potential team. Really, anyone in the and the NL East, other than the Marlins, obviously, could potentially land him. Um, and then, I, you know, I can't really see. I don't think the Indians will be a target. Maybe the White Sox, you know, I don't see why they wouldn't. Uh, you know, they're probably a year or two tops from competing. And uh, the Twins, who knows? I thought they would be more competitive last year. I don't know, really know where Detroit is at right now, but... I, I find it hard to imagine they're too far from being competitive. Um, and then, I mean, there's still a bunch of, you know, National League teams to consider as well. You know, I mean, the Reds eventually are going to uh, be competitive again. Maybe, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, the Giants, the Dodgers could potentially be a fit for him, especially where it's a short-term deal. Um, so I think there's plenty of teams looking for a middle-of-the-rotation guy that could, you know, use his services, really. And that's where I'm at. Terry, what do you – okay. And I don't disagree with your comment that a Rick Porcello-type deal makes sense. And I think at the one-and-a-half – million per win rule he's at 18 million a year um so what would be your comment uh, what would be your commentary on dallas keichel versus porcello as a red sox fan you know do you do you i do you feel like you could stay with porcello if keichel's available just curious on your thoughts there well, you know, it's an interesting thought because, you know, and, well, the, these are huge topics for another show, but, you know, we're not sure at this point if we want to bring back um, Chris Sale based on his lack of durability. And we know we do have Price and Erod for, you know, fairly long term. Um, but if you bring in, if you bring in a Keiko type guy, this year, then that kind of forces Porcello to up his game. It would force Chris Sale to try to somehow pull it together, if that's even possible. And whether or not you sign Sale or or Porcello is one thing, but Keiko could potentially be a, a good insurance policy. Now, he is, you know, he could potentially be a home run threat in, in a in a park like Fenway as much as Chris might be concerned uh, you know as he could be in Yankee Stadium because that's a banned box and so I don't know I mean 
he's a good insurance policy and you know hypothetically for the Red Sox but also you know going back to the Astros because Verlander's getting old so you know who knows what his future really is and then I mean maybe they're they do have interest to bring Garrett Cole back but but in case they're not able to they would still have Keiko to um fall back on and I don't know who they might have for arms coming up through their farm system but I just I don't think he would be the worst signing ever really if you're bringing him in for a middle of the rotation guy the problem with Houston and this goes with any team that has a window the window as quickly as it can get open it can also shut just as fast and you think about how Houston in 2015 basically was the Braves of this year. They came out of nowhere. Nobody expected them to do anything. They shot put at the projections. They made it to the playoffs, albeit they lost to Kansas City. But still, that led to them being able to, albeit they didn't make it in 16-18 series, and then they they lost to the vaunted Red Sox in 18. So, But because with all that and with all the trades they've made, they still have some guys. They have Kyle Tucker. They have Forrest Whitley, who missed 50 games because of a suspension. He's a kid who could potentially, you know, step into the, you know, their rotation, but he's only, I think, 2021, 20, so he's not going to be pitching 200 innings every year anytime soon. they got to protect his arm. You guys saw Josh James. He's another one who could be a potential back-end guy. But, again, he hasn't thrown a lot of innings of late, so he would need time gap. So if you're going to go out and spend a lot of money on Cole or – Keiko, Corbin, whoever, whoever, just think about how much that's going to take away when you have to pay Correa and Springer, and eventually Bregman's going to need a contract. I mean, they got Altuve, so he's set, but you can't sign them all. Eventually, one or two is going to have to walk, and, you know, I, again, I hate to go back to the scout thing, but I asked your scout last week about, if you pick which three you want to keep, Correa, Springer, Bregman? I was surprised. I thought he would say Bregman, he's Correa, because he's a middle infielder. It's tough to find a shortstop with a five player like that. And he said that the body just reminds him a lot. Chris, you're really choppy. Your audio is a bit choppy. But I get what you're saying. You know, the Astros do have to. You know they do have to decide which which guys to prioritize, and there's a lot of guys in their lineup, and, and like you said, they're not going to be able to keep them all. So um, I, I do get your concerns there, but one other thing that we also need to keep in mind: it is only four years. So if a team's window should be closing, you know, if if they just you know. If this coming year is a disappointment and they're not even in it the following year, that's still probably going to be a movable contract as well. That's fair. There's some good points in there, and I would just like to point out, uh, Chris said that he hates to go back to what the scouts say. No, uh, I like to hear what the scouts say. So I'm all in for for that information, Chris, and I would not shy um, off at all from from sharing that with our listeners because obviously Terry and I don't offer that. So uh, I appreciate it, and I look forward to, to that commentary. It's a really good point. 
Um, with again, they can't sign everything. Everybody, Bregman's an absolute goddamn stud. So I gotta believe he's gonna he's gonna go ahead and get signed. Um, you gotta worry about up the middle, and you gotta sign the shortstop. They already signed the second baseman. Um, it does seem to me that if if they're gonna keel back and worry about signing a guy, it would make sense that Keiko would be that guy. He is 31 years old. He's not an elite guy. He's not a front of ro- a front of the rotation type of guy. And I understand that Verlander's getting old, but he's still pretty good. And you're gonna get you you're gonna get him for another year. So I, I do think Keiko's gonna move. I don't think he's gonna go back to Houston. If we're getting to the point uh, where we're gonna predict where Keiko goes, I have him um, to the Yankees for four years, eighty million dollars. Uh, Chris, what's your uh, official prediction? See, I, I haven't really thought about where Keiko's going to go yet. I, I Again, I hope it's not New York. I, I don't want a guy like that who's not going to be able to keep the ball in the ballpark, albeit he pitched in Houston. But I think Houston is far more advanced than any other team when it comes to being able to you know, execute the pitching philosophies that come with it. I think if Dallas is going to sign – he might be better suited going to the National League. And, I mean, this is just me throwing it out and hoping it sticks. But the Brewers, they need an ace. Keiko would be the best pitcher on that staff. That's a really interesting. And that wasn't even on my radar, and it makes perfect sense. So, um, yeah, that, that could. Uh, I think what. I think what's going to make it really difficult on Keiko is I think you're going to have, like, a, you know, a third of Major League Baseball in on him. Yep, you know, and it's going to make the prediction game really hard. Where on the yep. flip side, with 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 Harper, yep. you know, you can eliminate two thirds of the league right away. Yep. The Yankees have eliminated themselves. Red Sox are out, but you know, Keuchel's. I mean, I mean, if the money's right, <laughs> the Red Sox could be a player. I just don't think they will be. But you know, I, it just seems to me that it's going to be really hard to predict where Keuchel goes. I I, I just think that the Yankees would be willing to overpay for Keiko if they wanted to flex their muscles um, they can you know they can go to 22 25 million if they feel like it's necessary I'll I'm just gonna stick with the Astros on that one which is kind of lame because I had Harper going back to his team but um, I just I think it makes sense and and they don't have McCullers this year and and it's a movable contract, so that's where I'll go there. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, not that you give a shit that I agree or disagree with you, Terry. But I don't, I think that's as good of a guess as any. Yeah, and it's a, it's a broad, you know, it's a broad market for him. I feel like. Well, let's not forget though, too. The market also has. I mean, look how many lefties are out there. You have Keiko. You have Corbin. Paxton could be traded. You have half. You have the Japanese kid who I can't even pronounce his name. I'm not even going to try. But he's going to be out there as well to be able to, for teams to post and try to get. So, I mean, there's a lot of lefties to go out there. And, you know, I, I, I truly do believe there's going to be a lot of trades. Maybe not now, obviously, but I think going into the Las Vegas winter meetings, I think there's going to be quite a few trades that are going to happen. I think more so that than signings. And then after that, though, there's going to be more signing. Okay, so I don't disagree with that at all. And um, 
I think the difference with Keuchel versus some of the other guys that you've mentioned is that Keuchel has pitched in really big moments. He's been uh, part of a championship team, and you know he—I get he's a—he's getting a little long in the tooth, but he has a little bit more of a proven track record than a lot of the guys that are going to be available. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. With that. I think guys are going to get moved. I think guys in, in the last year of deals where. Uh, people saw what happened to the Nationals, for example, where they got... The, if Harper goes elsewhere, they get nothing in return for that guy. That, that to me, is just a monumental mistake. And I think teams may look at that and go, oh, God, that can't happen to us, especially if you're a mid-market to small-market team where you just need assets. Um, so, yeah, I do expect some trades. I do expect guys in the last year of their deal where... where where teams don't think they can reasonably contend, I, I think they're going to see the Nationals for as as kind of a um, a cautionary tale to make sure that they get assets before the guy the, the the player leaves. I'm surprised the Nationals didn't fire Mike Rizzo after this terrible season and getting really no value for a lot of the players. They, that... they, they better sign him. If you're the GM, you better sign him, and it better not be an awful contract because either, one, he leaves, and you get absolutely nothing from a guy like that with all that value, or two, you overpay for him, and he's an eyesore, and he, he just handicaps your franchise for a decade. So, yeah. I mean, you better hope that he gives you some kind of home, hometown discount and stays. Otherwise, it just looks it just looks the, the optics on it are terrible. Right. I will say, though, I mean, Rizzo has done a lot for that team. They've been in contention every year. Granted, they haven't been able to get past the first round of the playoffs, but he's done everything he can to not just make sure he produces a winner on the field, but also, too, making sure that the pipeline is not fully drained. I mean, he, he was very gung-ho about not trading Juan Soto, who you know I call Babe Ruth because he's just a god, and then also to Victor Robles, who could potentially be what Soto is, or at least what people thought. I mean, Robles was ranked higher than Soto. And then now you look and you're like, what the heck? Like, what were the rankings? Like, what was Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo thinking? But going back to your point, the Nationals did offer $300 million for 10 years, no opt-outs. So if Harper ends up signing elsewhere and he signs for 400 or 325 or whatever, I can't see the fan base being that bad because they offered him as much as they could without including what the team would be. Back to your point earlier, Jeremy, about how much money he's going to bring back with all the commercials and the hair and the clone. I get that. But at the end of the day, fans are very one-sided, a lot of them. They're not like myself, you, or Terry, or some of the other people that I've talked to on this podcast. They see one thing and one thing only. And that's wins. If they're not winning, then it becomes a whole, you know what. So. They're on their fourth manager, though, in a really short amount of time. And I mean, not because of Rizzo, though. That's because of the owner. The owner is the one that fired the managers. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, there's just. I don't know if it's a lack of chemistry or what, but there's just. Or maybe it's philosophical. I, I, I don't know what their issue is, but they, they have a lot of issues and behind the scenes and then on the field when it when it really matters. So I And just... um, to chime in there, 
totally agree that the Nationals appropriately shot their shot with the 10-year, $300 million deal. So fair. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in myself for not acknowledging that on my own. So uh, on the other end, uh, Chris, I, I just completely disagree with you that fans only see it one way because a guy like Bryce Harper brings people um, that don't give a shit about the Nationals going first to third on a base hit. They, they bring the pink hats. They bring the, the ancillary fans in uh, either for the games or for whatever they choose to use Bryce Harper to market, and that's his value. Bringing guys that aren't there to see, um, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, a good hitter square up a two-zero pitch and look for a ball middle middle. That that's not who they they want. They're overpaying Bryce Harper for. They're paying Bryce Harper for the ancillary fan that normally wouldn't give a shit that now does give a shit because they got this marketable player that's that's doing more than just playing baseball for the organization. You go ahead, Chris, if you want. I mean, I, I I can't disagree with you because you could be right. I'm also not going to agree because I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I love I'm it. Not, I'm not in fans' heads. I don't know what they think of. I know do fans not pay attention and they're on their phones? Because I've been to many games between my broadcasts and then just watching games where people are on their phones and yeah, they're not paying attention. So. They probably don't care what Harper, what any player does on a 2-0 pitch or a 1-1 cock shot down the middle that he rips down the third baseline for a home run or however you want to call it. But I do know being able to listen to radio shows and just, you know, seeing all the Twitter GMs because now this offseason it's all about the Twitter GMs. But I do know at the end of the day that wins do become a thing. So, but like we talked about with free agents and how it can go multiple ways, that's a discussion that we could have for hours on end, and we don't have time yeah. on the podcast. No, I, I agree, and and I'm not I'm not discrediting your baseball comment at all, so I hope you I don't, don't take it that way. Like, just, just quickly, when the Lovable Idiots won in 04, they shaved Johnny Damon's beard on Yaki Way with, like, a Gillette Mach 4. Like, that had nothing to do with baseball. That had to do with Johnny Damon appear. And that was, um, I know the, the term pink hats can be somewhat derogatory. I do not, I, I'm not using it for that purpose. I'm using it to describe the ancillary fan. And that team, uh, one, because they broke the curse, so I acknowledge that. But two, they had a bunch of really interesting personalities that brought the ancillary fans to the ballpark. Or, in other words, brought the ancillary fans to and, and put the Red Sox in the forefront of their mind when they normally would not be there. And and Johnny Damon having his beard shaved uh, on Yaki Way, you know, with the Gillette Mach 4 is a perfect example of that. And that's what I mean by it. Uh, obviously, the baseball guys are, like, I personally don't give a shit. Like, Terry, Terry knows this about me. Like, I've said, like, I don't care. Like, I've said crazy things. Like, I don't care if you're a criminal. I don't care if you, you know sleep with the other players' wives. I, I don't care if you're a drunk or whatever. Like, if you produce and you help the team that I'm rooting for win games, I really don't give a shit about anything else. And I truly mean that. And I'm not just saying that. So I hope my point is coming across appropriately. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things where the business side of things intercedes with the baseball side of things. 
Okay. Well, let's uh, uh, move on to the uh, final um, free agent. That would be uh, probably uh, former Red Sox closer, Craig Kimbrell. And um, his market, I mean, it could be three to five years. It's a little far-fetched to me that he's going to eclipse what Roldis Chapman got. And, and and that contract's not looking great at the moment. But, um, um, Jeremy, go ahead. Why don't you uh, lead off with that? Yeah. Um, I, I love elite strike throwers. I love relievers that come in the game and you know they're going to throw the ball in spots and they may get hit, but they're going to be in the strike zone. They're not going to beat themselves. Kimbrell, when he gets beat, it's more often than not him beating himself, walking like more than one guy, you know, like two guys in a row, three guys in a row. And he, he typically finds a way out of it, and which is great. And he is an elite closer. Um, but I, I, I would like to see, at least in the Red Sox system, a guy that's more of a consistent strike thrower. Um, and I, we don't, the, the, the problem and why I, I have still interest in Kimbrell is there's no guy currently on the Red Sox that can fill that role. Um, now we have elite strike throwers, but we don't have elite strike throwers with elite stuff. Um, that's, that's not a starting pitcher. I mean, like Chris sale falls in that category, for example, but he's not going to close games for you. So, um, you know, and, and I, I'm going to defer to Chris here before I talk about the money because I'm really interested to see what a non-Red Sox fan thinks about Kimbrell. I mean, Kimbrell I like to refer to as a pack of cigarettes because you're going to smoke all them before his outing's over because that's what he does. Granted, what he did in the postseason was basically an outing like that every time except for when Gagne figured out what was wrong with him mechanically. I mean, I think Gagne deserves a ring just as much as anybody because he helped you guys, at least for the most part, with the back end of that bullpen, mainly Kimbrell. But realistically, for what closers are getting and what I've seen from other teams and how they go about that closers role, you can find a guy on the free agent market or even from your own system if you feel like the guy can produce at that role. I think Andrew Miller is a person who could maybe do that because – Dave Dombrowski is familiar with him. He drafted him with the Tigers before flipping him for Miguel Cabrera and a couple others, you know, Dontrell Willis, that whole big thing. But I honestly feel like, and this is just because I'm a non-Red Sox fan, but I kind of see a little bit of what both I've read, heard, and just listening to Terry and others talk. I think the Red Sox would be better suited letting him walk because his home run rate is up. He's become a lot more hittable. Granted, he shoots himself in the foot, and he's found ways to get out of trouble. But he's now entered the age of 30. Guys who now get over that hump kind of don't get better as they get older, and there's a lot of innings on that arm. So if the Red Sox have a better option, I would go with that and save the money for when you have to sign Mookie and others because of arbitration arbitration and such. But if there is nobody better out there, and you hope, and I shouldn't say hope, but you want to win that, second consecutive World Series by albeit signed Kimbrel. So I, it sounds like Chris and I 
agree, but then it would depend on what the money is. Yep. Um, I, I would do three years and I would do like 12 and a half per. I think anything over that just to me, I think starts to begin to affect the ability to sign bets, Bogarts sale. Um, and also I think the closer market is just absolutely crazy right now with the contracts that have been getting out in the two, in the last two off seasons. Um, there's another factor that I don't know about. One of our listeners tweeted at me last week because uh, Kimball came up in the last podcast and said that uh, Boston area hospitals would be a factor and um, I seem to remember that maybe one of his children or his child I don't exactly remember had an issue I just I don't know um, that would that's been a factor for athletes in the past I think um, Ray Allen has come out and said that his initial re-signing with the Celtics was a factor um, I know that's basketball, but um, I don't know about that. And so that if that's a factor, I, I, one, maybe you guys can enlighten me and educate me on that. Um, and, and if that is a factor, it's something that, you know, hopefully, um, well, let me say this. I, I wouldn't comment on that part of it just because obviously a family, and I'm a father, so family, health, and all that stuff if it plays a factor um, I'm just not going to get involved in that because that's something that's deeply personal to the player and that's above being an athlete so maybe you guys could help me on that well basically his daughter was born with a heart defect and um, I forget which hospital it was in Boston uh, but one of the you know renowned hospitals basically um, was able to address that issue and uh last I knew she's you know as healthy as can be and and rebounding and and Kimbrel has you know kind of I don't know he's kind of just kind of you know helped out that community and and uh and worked with them and kind of given back and but what ultimately matters in this case though is what the Red Sox front office wants and if they don't want to pay what his market is, it's really it's really up to them. I think Kimbrel would absolutely be open to coming back to the Red Sox. Uh, Nathan Avaldi has basically echoed the same things. It, it just seems like this currently is an environment where a player would love to, um, you know, spend a few years of their career and and maybe win a championship, but. I just don't, I just don't really see it lining up for, you know, for Kimbrel. And the thing you have to consider here, you know, that Chris kind of alluded to is his numbers are trending the wrong way, and eventually his fastball is going to be diminished. And I don't know that he's going to be the player he is, you know, or has been without a fastball. I can't picture him adapting because his ability to command his off-speed stuff is just not very good. And Papelbon... I totally agree. Papelbon kind of found a way to still be relevant. He was nowhere near as dominant, but he could kind of get guys out. He did it with the Phillies. Kind of did it a little bit with the with the Nationals before he completely fizzled out. But I just don't... I don't see... I don't see Kimbrell really 
being a dominant guy with the ability to adapt throughout his 30s and um, terrible fit for the Red Sox at this point and and there is no immediate solution you, you know you, ha- you still have Barnes I think we still have Brazier I'm still not clear on what his contract is but those are the guys Dombrowski <laughs> thinks he's going to kind of lean on in the ninth inning and then you have Durbin Feltman who was drafted this year has a good college pedigree probably will uh, get promoted to the big club this Year and then Travis Lakins, who just absolutely destroyed it in AAA, could be a viable late inning guy. And I, I think they have what they need to kind of tread water until uh, July 31st without him. And I and, and there's other guys, uh, you know, available as well. You know, Zach Britton. Um, oops, just knocked over my mic. Um, Kelvin Herrera, assuming he'll be healthy, is a free agent and. Plenty of options, and I just don't see Kimbrel being uh, one of the better ones. Yeah, um, I'm going to do something I hate to do here and compliment Terry. Um, <laughs> I totally agree. And could you imagine if you have him for four years, and after year two, he comes out throwing 92 with his location and no third pitch? Because he, he has the slurve. And he has an elite fastball, but he's a he's a minus minus strike thrower. Uh, he really can't throw his breaking pitch for a strike. Um, and if he's ninety two, or you know, he does what you know, like Pomerantz fought, which was like a, just a complete lack of velocity, where he's like seven eight miles below what he typically is. Like you're now paying a guy twenty million dollars that you may have to waive. Um, so there's a, I agree. There's a tremendous amount of risk, um, just because he there's, I feel confident in saying that he has absolutely no chance of reinventing himself if he is not 97, 98, 99, um, because he just he he can't throw strikes. He's he, and when he does throw strikes, by the way, typically it's like it's not a good pitch. It just happens to be 99. So he gets away with it. Uh, but if, you know, he, he's not like a location guy. He's just not. Chris? Well, let's not forget, though, too, with Kimbrough. I mean, he's – I told Terry this. I think, I think Terry, I told you this. Was this last year or maybe it was in the beginning of the season? Out of Kimbrough's first 100-and-something strikeouts dating back to last year, none of them were on the slider. They were all on the fastball. It was some crazy stat that I saw that I told Terry, and Terry was mind-blown. Yeah, that was but, actually uh, probably at the beginning of the summer, I feel like. And, and okay. I, he did somehow start to get guys out, but I, I think that's because they they were just laying off that rising fastball, which is another concern yep. I have. I just think the league has kind of figured him out as well, and, and they're not yep. swinging at certain things. But... Um, but he, he did start to get guys out, but it, it was just for because he had no other answers, I, I feel like. But, but go ahead. All right, now, Chris, I'm sorry. I'm going to defer to you. Sorry. And Kimbrell, you know, he has a tough – I mean, look, there was a reason why every time he came in for the eighth inning, it was it was like a heart attack every from that point forward because he can only go one inning. For some odd reason, like a lot of relievers – you can like once they get past that one inning, it's that second inning that's like okay, 
What is I don't know what you do in the dugout. I don't know. I don't know if you're so routine oriented where that second inning messes you up because I've seen it happen to Patanzas. I've seen it happen to a couple Red Sox relievers this year. I mean, I've seen it everywhere around baseball. But for some odd reason, and I think this is a part of the game that we're teaching these pitchers where, all right, you're going one inning and that's it. And we're going to go right to the next the next guy and the next guy. And that's why I love what, like, Josh Hader has done with the Brewers. You know, you look at a lot of other guys who are becoming more of those two- to three-inning guys. They might not go more than two times a week, but those two- to three-innings, that volume that Brian Kenny likes to talk about is so great to that bullpen. It protects it for the rest of the week, so you have guys who can go out while the Josh Haters of the world already did their job and now kind of just watching from afar. Absolutely, mm. and Kimbrel. Yeah, know, I, I like guess that. Not like that, that guy. point. That's that's why that's why I want the Red Sox to be a player in the Miller sweepstakes for that <laughs> yeah, exact Miller. reason. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that he's got, he's yeah. that guy anymore, though. But I, I would be open to signing him. I mean, I think he'd still hold down you, the eighth inning, no less. One year deal. If you sign him to a one year deal, and I've said this for the last, I mentioned this to. Uh, who was it? There was a, a guy on uh, Yankees Twitter guy. You know, Terry, do you know this guy, John Boy? No. Okay. Well, he's a big – he's had Michael K on his show, and he has a podcast like this too. But I tweet at him. He disagreed with me, but that's fine. He thought that Andrew Miller would not sign with the Red Sox or the Rays. And I said, you know what? Both of those teams make sense. Red Sox need a closer. He knows Dave Dombrowski. He drafted him. And the Tampa Bay Rays are known – for taking guys off the scrap heap like Andrew Miller, who look like they're on the downturn, and then they end up making them into like a high-leverage reliever again and then sell them for prospects. So it makes sense where he can go one or the other. A one-year deal for, what, maybe six, seven million, have it be incentive-lative, and then tell him, hey, if we suck by July, you're going to get traded. So all you have to do is pitch well to July, and you're going to be on a contender. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good, but I, I think he will, unfortunately, probably get a two-year deal from someone. I mean, he's early enough in his, you know, in his 30s, and um, the durability is becoming more of a concern, but I, I think somebody would take that chance for sure. And, and if it's Boston, hey, totally cool. I, I'd love to see it. Um, so I guess, I mean, we can just get into predictions here, uh, for Kimbrel. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. Um, Braves, four years, 65 million. I, I, I would like to say the Red Sox, two years, 30 million. That's what I'd like to say. Because I think for that money, um, I would I would do it. Um, I just I think there are going to be too many teams involved, and I think there it, it's so hard to close games in Major League Baseball that um, as much as we've kind of hammered on Kimbrel, he he's been an All Star, he's been a closer on a World a World Series championship team, and. Even though he puts himself and himself most of the times in bad spots, he is nails. He's tough and he's not afraid at the moment. And uh, there's certainly value in that. Um, 
So I would love to say Red Sox two for thirty, but I think I think Braves for like fifty-five to sixty-five, something like that, over four years. Chris, I mean, I have him for one of four, either the Nationals, the Sox, the Braves, or even the Brewers. I think the Brewers are going to get somebody in the off season, but. If I had to pick the three, if I had to say top three, I would say either it would be Braves, Brewers, or Sox. But, I mean, I have the Braves getting Harper, so, I mean, I don't know if they're going to have money to want to go out and spend on Kimbrel too. But I honestly believe if the Brewers don't get a starting pitcher, they're just going to beef up that bullpen and do what the Rockies did, just pour all the money into that and just hope that they can win it like that. So I would say the Brewers for three years with an opt-out after the first year, and I'd say about fifty mil a year. That's reasonable. Wait, did you say four years, fifty mil? Three years. Three, three years. years. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, and an opt-out yeah, after the first, the first, did, and obviously the third. You know, he can he can leave. Did um, does. Chris, specifically for you, before Terry gets into his prediction, does that does the Kimbrel dilemma for the Braves mm-hmm. cause apprehension? If let's say you were to put yourself in the shoes of the GM for the Atlanta Braves on Bryce Harper, like you just said, you just you just said, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't want to misquote you, so, mm-hmm. but you just said basically like Bryce Harp signing Bryce Harper takes you out of the Kimbrel sweepstakes, so that means it probably takes you out of a whole bunch of different sweepstakes. So, what's your position on you know, you know, put your shoes, put yourself if if, if possible in the in the shoes of the Atlanta Braves. Mm-hmm. Would you do the Bryce Harper if it means you can't get Kimbrel, if you can't get another bat, if you can't get another starter? I mean, what's your thought on that, if anything? I mean, I think that's where, you know, if you're Alex Anthopoulos, you have to ask yourself, you know, do we want to get four players or do we or do we want to get one player? I mean, it's, you know, I think that the Braves, they have quite a number of holes. You know, they're not a finished product by any means to get to the World Series or at least make the playoffs consistently. You know, again, I wish we could be able to ask these questions because I'd love to hear what answers I'd get back. But if they get Harper... I think that precludes them from going out to get really anybody else that's high-priced unless they really can find a way within the books to, you know, manage to be able to get both players. But if they get a big-time guy like Harper or Machado, I just find it difficult to be able to sign guys who are like Kimbrell, Britton, or one of those other high-priced free agents. Even even a starter like Hap, Corbin, Keuchel, you know, it wouldn't shock me if the Braves went more of the trade route after making a big-time move and then traded some of that surplus. Like, I saw on ESPN that they could be potentially in for Mad Bum and give up guys like Ian Anderson, Drew Walters, which could happen, but that's the only way. If you can't sign any more guys, the only the only thing else is trade the surplus, which is they have a lot of prospects. Not all are going to be great. You know, I mean, I'll just give my prediction because it is the Braves. Uh, you know, I've thought all along he's been going there. And I think, I mean, they have, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm going to boldly assume that they're in the bottom third of the league in terms of payroll. They're one of the biggest markets. I mean, they are the team of the South. And 
I just I don't see why they couldn't sign both Harper and Kimbrell. And I, I think Harper going there is a longer shot. I think it's an interesting, you know, possibility, though. But when I look at how they were performing coming down the stretch, the Red Sox swept them in early uh, September, you know, and I was expecting that to be kind of a tough series. And their bullpen was just absolutely terrible. And that's, I, I think that has to be a huge priority for them. So... I think given the familiarity with Kimbrell, I'm sure he would be open to going back there. He's from Alabama, so that's basically his home team anyway. Um, There's just too much about it that makes sense, and they they definitely need to address that bullpen. They were the only playoff team coming into October where I said, they definitely have no chance. They have no chance whatsoever. And they won their division, so they didn't even have to sweat out the wild card. And I'm still like, they have no chance. And, you know, I even thought the A's had a chance to be dangerous in October, but you know, before the wild card game was played. And the Braves, I just had no faith in them. And I just, their bullpen definitely has to be a huge priority. And I can't really think of any guy on their roster that's really making a ton of money. I mean, uh, Freeman, obviously, uh, you know, I, he does have a big contract, actually. But I don't think Marcakis, he'd probably be their number two contract at that he's point. He's a free agent. Oh, he's a free agent. So, um, hence, why I, hence why I mentioned Harper. Because yeah. they have an opening in right field. True. And I, I did I did notice uh, Marcakis was on the uh, free, yep. free agent list earlier, but... But that's a lot my... of big time guys. They're not making a lot of money. Insignarte, they have him on an affordable contract. He's not making more than I think thirty million. They have Acuna, who's going to be at least affordable the next three four years. I mean, this is like this is the window that the Astros had. Except I think the Braves might take a step back. But then again, baseball you can't predict. I mean, not every team is the same. So, but the Braves they're they're exciting to watch. I think the AL East them and the Phillies, and even to a certain degree, if the Marlins could ever figure themselves out, I think it's nice when the AL East, or the NL East, pardon me, is has, you know, a lot of good teams and not the crappy teams at the bottom, you know? Right. The East is definitely a hotbed, you know, on, oh, both, yeah. on both sides of the league, so. All right, any uh, final thoughts before we wrap, Jeremy? Uh, can't wait for the next one because there's a whole uh, list of people like uh, I'm looking forward to talking about. I will say, uh, Chris, um, it's been a pleasure uh, to a certain extent talking and debating with you about all of this. And uh, you know, maybe if you could give the listeners and myself your Twitter Twitter handle, uh, we could uh, potentially follow you and your radio show. Definitely. Uh, underscore Smoke, underscore Saunders, or you can look me up on YouTube, Christopher Saunders. I'm also on Instagram, same thing. Uh, underscore Smoke, underscore Saunders. And you can follow me, message me, whatever you want to do. I cover all collegiate high school sports. And as Terry knows, you know he's seen my posts. I do the Bristol Blues, which is a future collegiate baseball league. I'll be back with them again in the summer. And the talent that's in Connecticut or we get come you know that comes to Connecticut I mean if I could tell you you know I'll name a couple that we've had play in the program or 
for the league, I should say. If you guys remember Craig Biggio, his son Kevin, who's the number eight prospect for Toronto, he played in the league. Uh, the number 17 overall prospect for the Yankees, Ryder Green. I came two days away from being able to interview him, but he signed the contract with the Yankees for 1.5 mil. And Vanderbilt. So the league is great, and hopefully people can watch sometime because there's a lot of talent in the future baseball league. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for coming on, Chris. And uh, Jeremy will uh, collaborate, you know, within the next 24 hours or so. I I'm sure we're going to do Machado. He'll be um, one of the three we profile on the next episode. But we'll uh, we'll get that one figured out here uh, probably tomorrow. Guys, thank you very much, uh, Terry. I do look forward to the next one and the next batch of uh, free agents. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, all right. Second hot stove show of the off-season in the books. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll probably be using this format for the next handful of shows anyway. Eventually, some of these guys are just going to start to get signed, and then we're going to have to cover that. So, um, But uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can in the next couple of weeks anyway. So, uh, again, uh, look for us on iTunes. Give us a review. That would be great. Um, SoundCloud as well, Stitcher. Any, Google it. You know, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts, I'm sure we are available there. So, uh, enjoy your uh, weekend, you know, for those of you uh, who have weekends off. And uh, if not, you're going on the road, give us a listen. And uh, some of our recent shows are still uh, very relevant as well. So, have a good, uh, you know, have a good weekend.